welcome to this edition of the Alabama Historical Association's podcast program. I'm your host, Marty Olaf, and I talk with people who conduct interesting research and do interesting things concerning Alabama history. You can find out more about the Alabama Historical Association, a membership organization devoted to Alabama history, by pointing your browser at our website, www.alabamahistory.net. Our guest is Carol Ann King, co-author of Alabama Quilts, Wilderness Through World War II, 1682-1950, published by the University of Mississippi Press in 2020. Alabama Quilts is the winner of the James F. Soulsby Award of the Alabama Historical Association, which honors James F. Soulsby, the founding president and longtime secretary of the association, and recognizes excellence in a book published in the previous two years that has made the most significant contribution to greater knowledge and appreciation of Alabama history. So welcome, Carol, and congratulations on winning the Soulsby Award in 2022. Well, it's great to be here, and it was definitely a surprise and an honor to receive the award from the Alabama Historical Association this past spring. Would you tell us about the book? The quilt book was co-authored, or actually it was the inspiration of Mary Elizabeth Johnson Huff, and most people in the state and the region know her as Sunshine Huff. So I'll probably refer to her more as Sunshine because she was just known everywhere from quilters, historians, public speaking as Sunjob. Our friendship began with the Alabama Decorative Arts Survey back in the mid-1980s, which was a project by the Birmingham Museum of Art, funded by the National Endowment. Gail Andrews and Bridie Adams up there were material cultural people, very interested in fiber, and they had written this grant. And what happened with this grant is that decorative arts in Alabama were sought after and documented by field workers in the different areas of the state. And here in Montgomery, we were the headquarters of the Black Belt field workers. Sunshine met a lot of people in the wiregrass and the Pontywood section of Alabama. Because of her quilt contact, she could get them into meet people and document quilts. We were here at Old Alabama Town. We're involved in just a lot of the documentation. The field workers held days all over the state for people to bring in things documented, you know, made in Alabama or with strong Alabama roots. And so that became the foundation of our original research on this project. After that survey was completed, there was a real legendary traveling exhibit that went to the major museums here in the state, as well as a very nicely documented catalog called Made in Alabama, the name of the exhibit which is still pretty much the foremost piece of research done on Alabama decorative arts to this day. All of the research then went to the Birmingham Public Library. Sunshine was very active in other quilt documentation days around the South. Florida produced a quilt book, Georgia produced a quilt book, and Sunshine actually worked with the Mississippi Quilt Guild, a statewide organization, and produced a Mississippi quilt book. So that's where her relationship began with the University of Mississippi Press. It was very successful. They sold a lot of copies. They understood the quilt market as well as the material culture and local history market as well. 
So they did a great job on getting the Mississippi book out, and it won a lot of awards. So after this Alabama Decorative Arts Survey was over, she looked around and she said, we got to have a quilt book. She said, that's just going to be my purpose in life from now on. And if everybody that knew Sunshine knew that she loved quilts, she was a speaker nationally, regionally, and did lots of other articles. She did conservation work as well. We were friends, but we were not travel buddies yet, but we sure became that. And she said, what do you think? And I said, well, uh, let's try it. So that was actually 20 years ago. We started in 2003. The very first thing that we did was to get a grant from the Alabama State Council on the Arts. And we worked with a girl from Mississippi, Carol Vickers, who had been very instrumental in the Mississippi book. And Carol came over and she went through all of the field work done previously that was on record at the Birmingham Public Library. This is pre-digital. So we digitized everything. In other words, we put all the field work in fields and that way we could evaluate, you know, how many quilts were seen, which was somewhere in the neighborhood of 2000 plus counties were covered, what kind of quilts were seen, what time frames were happening what quilts had good stories, what quilts were kind of weak. And then we plotted our route from there, in other words. Where did we need to go in the state? and Where did we need to look? So we spent the next 15 years <laughs> doing quilt shares around the state. We worked with museums, libraries, church groups, local quilt guilds, you know, anyone who would host us. And what we would do is we'd come in, say, on a Friday night, Sunshine would do a lecture. And then the next day would be the quilt chair day. The locals would provide volunteer labor, in other words. We had a nice format that we would send to them. This is how it works best to do a quilt chair day. This is how many volunteers we need. And this is the whole format of the day if you have a quilt to be seen. Well, our very first one was in Huntsville at Burrett. And that day alone, we saw 250 quilts. So we learned a lot that day. (laughs) You know, we learned to limit the amount of quilts people could bring and to fine-tune our documentation process. We had a six-page documentation form, which sounds like a lot, but you're not filling in everything. You know, it had to do with the evaluation of the quilt itself as an object and then the context that the quilt came from. Who made it? Where did they live? Family records, photographs, all the different things that support the quilt itself. It wasn't so much the quilt as a piece of artwork, as the quilt as material culture, you know, where it was coming from and the stories that it could tell contextually. We learned a lot of lessons in the first several that we did. We did about 20 all over the state through the years. We photographed them all. Of course, they were not professionally photographed. The point being was that out of the, I'd say, 2,500 to 3,000 that we documented, we had to obviously choose for the book about 200 images. It was a call back after, after about 15 or 18 years. We also wanted to only document quilts that had a story. People would come in with suitcases full of quilts that they bought at a, at a flea market. That's sad that the quilts lost their story at some point along the line or their families or whatever did not understand how important they were. So we every quilt eventually 
that we began to document had to have a story. One of the things that we did start to see also that we felt like it was our mission to show people how to take care of their quilts as well. And that's another section that we put in the back of the book too as an appendix. It's like, how do you care and how do you store for a historic quilt? We thought that was really necessary as well. And so we would have sort of little impromptu sessions when someone would pull a quilt out of wrapped up a newspaper or wrapped up in a plastic bag. We learned how to be diplomatic and to steer people in the right direction to conserve their quilts. We also wanted to make sure that we recognized everybody. So in the very back, there are all the different quilt chairs, the dates, and all the people who volunteered and participated and helped us out with it because it was such a huge effort on a lot of people. Did you find any trends in quilting over time? Did quilt styles change? <clears throat> Did they remain the same? After we had been through several quilt share days, of course, Sunshine was the writer. And so she had in her head how she was going to construct this book. So she was looking at things in context of Alabama history. This book is so much a social history of quilts, Alabama, women, rural areas, all types of political movements. Quilts are looked at through Alabama history. So she totally saturated herself in all of early Alabama history, especially since we started finding such early quilts. She was from the southern part of the state, Mobile and the Honey Woods area. So she was pretty much familiar with that. But we began to learn about the Tennessee Valley and the Plateau and, you know, Chattahoochee Valley and all those types of things. So we began to look at things geographically as well as historically, too. We were not so tuned into the fineness of the quilt. We saw some really, really fine things that are usually the objects in material culture that get preserved, the things that were wedding gifts or the things that were commemorative, that type of thing. But then we were looking for other things, especially when we get in 20th century, things that were used every day. Those are the things that don't usually survive because they get used up. If something appeared like that, it was given a priority to, because as we raided the quilts, after each quilt shared day, we would sit down and go through everything that we had seen. And we also provided a copy of this documentation back to the owner so that they could keep that documentation with that quilt to pass it on in their generations to secure the history of the quilt with the quilt. And she would rate them two star, three star, five star, so we would know to go back and either do more research or to photograph for the book itself. One of the things that was really interesting, when a quilt had a story where the person would sit down with a volunteer and actually do an oral history and make note of who made it, a little bit about the maker, or circumstances around the making of the quilt. And then we would go back and check facts. When it goes in the book, it better be right. Nowadays, with so much digital access, it was so interesting to see how accurate these family stories, these names and these peoples, and when they were born, when they were died, when they were buried, which regiment they fought in in the Civil War, that type of thing. Just wanted to make sure that we could get as accurate of that as we could. It was really interesting to see how, through the process of oral transmission, it was fairly accurate. 
this book is so deep with all of the with history and fabric and construction and materials available to people. And it was just real interesting to see women, children, men, all the different ages and socioeconomic people who actually produced the quilts as well. One of the interesting things that I thought of, because I approach it differently than you did when I was reading the book, is that this is a history of Alabama told through quilts. Exactly. Mm-hmm. As well as being a history of quilts told through the history of Alabama. So mm-hmm. I find that particularly fascinating. And that leads me to a question about the periodization that y'all chose for the book. The first chapter is pre-1819, the second chapter, 1819 to 1860, 1861 to 65, 65 to 74, 75 to 1900. Then the last two chapters are 1900 to 1925 and 1925 to 1950. Did you choose the periodization based on just traditional periodization in Alabama history or did the quilts present you with periodization? I think we actually somewhat created that because of the socioeconomic and political things that were happening during those time frames. When we first started, we were looking for the earliest and then right off the bat, we find the 1682 quilt in West Alabama at Magnolia Grove. And that just sort of blew us out of the water because, you know, we're thinking, oh, we might get some 1820s, you know, some early statehood. But that sort of blew us out of the water. We had also, as we worked along, decided that we needed to stop at 1950, which was very directed because at that point in time, quilting becomes a hobby, number one. And um, there's this mass production that begins. People can buy patterns in newspapers, in magazines, there are actually kits available that you can buy. There's quilting fabric specifically being manufactured. There's even what we call cheater cloth, which is cloth that's printed to look like a quilt, and then you go back and fill it in. It's not actually the patchwork itself. So all of this starts coming in the 1950s. So we decided that that's where we needed to stop. So other than that, we looked at things. I mean, those were large periods in Alabama's development, the pre-war boom time, and we wanted to talk about the women's effort during the war. Two, they were very, very instrumental in producing funds for the Confederacy or making their political affiliations known, as we did through a really interesting quilt that came out of Coleman in Winston County, who were definitely pro-reunion. So there were these women swimming upstream, too. And then we have the period of reconstruction and industrialization where people are leaving the farm and going to cities and starting to move away from that agrarian culture that we have. And you see then the development of the Birmingham area. They brought that quilting tradition with them. It just morphed. And then by the 20th century, the very first there, around 1914, you see the emergence of the extension service which is support homemaking and domestic arts throughout the state through the county government. And you get quilting being taught and it actually becomes subject in domestic arts and competitive. You see fairs and, and quilting competitions with the game too. And then you get the World War One going into World War Two, and the scarcity of goods and the women's labor being deferred to something else. Well, World War II, women are going into war production, but they still continue that tradition. 
That's how we began to see it, as we were seeing quilts that had survived. Just like during the Civil War, we saw the gunboat quilts that were producing a lot of income for the Confederacy. Women were very supportive through these quilting efforts in all the different wars, so they did their part. Please describe that earliest quilt. 1682, when we started our research, the Alabama Historical Commission, Eleanor Cunningham, had very definitive documentation with that quilt. It's actually not a whole quilt. It's a portion of a quilt that was a whole cloth quilt, which means it's not a patchwork. And the quilt was made outside Boston in Massachusetts about 1682. The first documentation that comes with the quilt is from a diary of the maker, Sarah, and she's talking about this quilt that she made 45 years ago. It was a beautiful quilt, silk, and very finely hand-stitched. And through the family, the person who inherited the Sarah name, the namesake generation after generation, inherited the quilt. It's documented to have come down through South Carolina and then very early into Alabama about the early 1820s with the Croom family who settled in West Alabama and eventually built Magnolia Grove. The quilt stayed in that family through the whole time from Sarah to Sarah to Sarah. But at some point, generationally, there were several Sarahs. So to solve that problem, they cut the quilt up and each of the Sarahs got a certain dimension of it. And this particular one came with the Croom family down into Alabama. They've had it very nicely conserved, and so it's, it can be seen at Magnolia Grove, which is an Alabama Historical Commission property in Greensboro, Alabama. At several generations, it's referred to in their diaries, and I mean, it was a very notable piece of their family lore, generation after generation after generation. And sometimes did a fair amount of research with other historians across the country, especially up in the Northeast. It could very easily be the oldest documented quilt in this country. Carol, tell us what a reader can expect when they open the book. They can expect to spend a lot of time engrossed in it. It's not your basic coffee table book with pretty pictures of quilts in it. It is a very dense and intense book. We did have a fabulous photographer, Dave Martin, who was a local AP photographer, he learned a new art. He really got into it. He did a beautiful job of getting full colors on all of our quilts. Quilts are not easy to photograph. They're so big, you need to get the whole thing, but you have to. And then he was great with details. He was very, very good. And so we were very lucky to have that consistency in our photography. The University of Mississippi Press did a beautiful job of the layout work. Sunshine in her hospital bed reviewed everything. We went over it chapter by chapter and edited and edited. Now, I was left to do the index, which was a surprise to me, but it got me very intimate with this book. It's a really good research tool for lots of different genres because you can look up different counties. You can look up quilting styles. You can look up political movements. You can look up certain women. It feeds into a lot of different categories. But it is definitely an interesting read. And once you get into it, it's a little hard to put down. We've spoken about Sunny and why she's known around the state. And unfortunately, she has passed away. But tell us about yourself. 
Well, I've been here at Landmark Foundation at Old Alabama Town for a really long time. My very first job when I was 16 years old, they put me in the peace goods department at the local pennies, and the ladies there taught me how to cut material. So I've always had this interest in it. They taught me well. They got me started. So that's always been one of those skills I had in my back pocket was identified textiles. When I went to design in Auburn with the home ec department, my professors there were very textile oriented because we had design and then we have fashion merchandising and things like that. We had ongoing classes on chemical construction and the design part. So we were very well schooled in that. So that's also why when we did this book, we came across people who are experts in certain aspects of quilting. Of course, Gail Andrews did a really good overall view of the past efforts in documenting. She had been the past director of the Birmingham Museum of Art. Flavin Glover is the log cabin lady in the South. She knows all about historic through contemporary log cabin design. Pat Kaiser was has also passed away, but she was the crazy quilt lady. Throughout the South, she knows all about crazy quilt construction, crazy quilt motifs, that particular tradition. These people did sidebars that we wanted a little bit more information about. Sarah Bliss Wright in Mobile does a lot in the final editing of the book. She's also a quilt historian that has done an interesting project called Mount Ida Quilt Project, which is a, a documentation project they did in Talladega County in the Mount Ida area. There's a Annie Ballum wedding quilt that surfaced, and Sarah Bliss analyzed this quilt, and then she went back to the descendants of the makers of all of these autograph pieces on this particular quilt and congregated them, and they reproduced the quilt. Both quilts are on exhibit at the Alabama Department of Archives and History. She does a lot of work on that particular quilt as well that's so well-known. We wanted people to get a little more information about these really interesting quilts. Sarah's field of interest is the Bemis Bag Company that made feed sacks, which was probably the predominant material in quilt construction. So she's done an extensive amount of research. So we got to know so many people, and I felt, for better use of words, very inadequate because I knew a little bit about a lot of stuff, but there were a lot of people out there who knew a whole lot more than I did. So one of the other things that came out of this is that in the decorative art survey of the 80s, as well as this, people came with quilts that they wanted to rehome. That was not the purpose, but some really fabulous pieces of material culture made their way into established collections. Birmingham Museum of Art has a massive collection of quilts that were worthy of rehoming. And here at Landmarks, we acquire some. Same way with Alabama Department of Archives and History. They were able to get a lot of really nice additions to their permanent collection with strong stories as well and can now continue that legacy of that particular quilt and its makers. You know about a few exhibitions that are happening in October of 2022 that will be imitated or go on into the future. Tell us a little bit about some of these. The most interesting thing that has popped up recently is a project funded by the Alabama State Council on the Arts through some local people beginning here in Montgomery called Sew Their Names, which is an attempt to commemorate enslaved women by putting their names into quiltwares and then creating a quilt for the area. We were involved a couple of months ago in Lowndes County. A quilt was produced by some of the descendants of the enslaved 
And then we had a big day out in one of the churches in Wilcox County. And a lot of folks showed up. The materials are provided. They bring a name and dates or whatever. And they create a quilt square. That particular quilt is being unveiled at the Montgomery Museum of Fine Art on Thursday, October the 6th. And it will be on exhibit for several weeks. And then I believe it's slated to travel around too so people can see that within the bike belt area. We're planning to do one here at Old Alabama Town because we do know the name of some of the enslaved people that were in our buildings. This is an attempt to commemorate their names and to commemorate that they were here. It's so hard to do African-American genealogy of that era. They do have occasional quilt symposiums at Pebble Hill, and we'll be speaking up there in October. Uh, that particular conference is called Every Stitch a Story. I'll do a story about it. a favorite quilt from the book. Also, putting the importance of quilts as a communication in our material culture. What story can this particular object tell about who made it, where it was, and what was happening at that particular time? So, Lots of folks are doing that, and quilting continues to survive especially within dirt communities. Thank you for bringing this to our attention, and thank you for joining me. This has been Carol Ann King, co-author of Alabama Quilts, Wilderness Through World War II, 1682 to 1950, published by the University of Mississippi Press in 2020, and winner of the 2022 James F. Soulsby Award for the best book in Alabama history in the previous two years. Congratulations to you on winning that award again. Thank you, sir. We appreciate it. Such time would be proud. Thank you for joining us today. This has been another edition of the Alabama Historical Association podcast program. Our music is the traditional tune, Whistle By, performed at City Stages in 1996 by James Bryan and Carl Jones. It's provided courtesy of the Alabama Folklife Association, which you can find on the web at alabamafolklife.org.